This is the 8-Bit Crew Biz by Mr. Vinja. Welcome. Hello world and welcome to the 8-Bit Cubist Podcast. This is your host, Mr. Benja. Let's get started. If you haven't heard from me in a while, it's because you haven't been looking online. And if you haven't been looking online, then you're probably dead because everything is happening online. Everything now is happening more so online because of the recent events that are causing me to accelerate the schedule of this podcast. And by by recent events, I mean the national, well, international world global emergency known as COVID-19, the coronavirus part three. First being uh, SARS and then MERS, or maybe it was MERS and SARS. Anyway, global outbreak of epic proportions of a virus that's taking over the globe. Pandemics happened, and now I'm jumping back into the podcast game ahead of schedule. And as I speak this, uh, it just started raining, so I think the audio will be good, but uh, if you hear any static, that's that's not anything to... Shit, I can't do shit about this. Oh, it's raining. Well, we're going to keep going. Like the post office, rain, sleet, shine. This thing gets started, it's not going to stop. Alright, so, for those of you who are new... New to this podcast, my name is Mr. Benja. I am an artist, a creative, and a former, yeah, I'll say former, a former game developer that has worked for Sony. I've worked for Rockstar Games, uh, worked for a toy company at one point, even spent some time as a, as a pharmacy store manager. I've done a few things here and there, done some freelancing, some consulting. Um, creative badass is, uh, is the word you're looking for. But the things that have come up in all my conversations, I want to pass them on in a in a format that's basically a monologue. So with this uh, with this one, I want to want to shout out uh, Theo Harvey. He's basically the dude who got me into you know um, discussing things with people uh, way back when we were college roommates. We would just sit around talking about things, doing some bullshitting, getting stuff off our chest. And he's one of the few cats that I was able to really talk with and learn how to, uh, you know, formulate these kinds of thought essays. These, um, you know, these things I'm going to be putting out in, in this new format. And I'm, I'm actually really struggling for a way to describe it because I don't know of anyone that's really doing it the way I am doing it. So uh, I want to give a shout out to the guy who actually had something thoughtful to say and I, who I could bounce ideas off of. Uh, Theo Harvey, uh, good guy. You'll catch him online. He'll probably be in the comments section of this. I don't know. You may never run across him in your entire life, but that's okay too. He's a good guy. Let's just jump right into it um, now. We're in a weird time and people don't know who to look to, who to talk to. Uh, I am not here to provide answers. But I'm here to make sure that we're asking better questions. We're here to, here to make sure that we're thinking about things in a better way. And I'll start with a story about me putting together an art show. I blogged about this, but 
I want to put it in audio form as well. In March of 2020, I got with a gallery around the way, Studio 361. Having They had a gallery space available, and I've worked with them for a while now, just trying to get my get my art, uh, my physical art, into, into the world in a more productive and ongoing way. Um, so I started with this uh, gallery 361 and uh, Studio 361, working, working to collect my art. And I did, I did a solo art show called Revenge of the Bit. And that was basically my return to the art scene in an official capacity. That was a, an interesting process. Uh, I was able to put art out in a primarily and print-first form, which I haven't done before. Normally, when you put out art, you see, you make a make a painting or you make an image in a traditional sense. Then you go back and you decide to make prints of that. And these art prints are you know, professionally constructed, put together and put out there into the world as copies of an original. So I was flipping the script. I was changing things up where I would create these images, these digital images with an 8-bit aesthetic applied to them, um, you know, following the proper art format. I'd create them digitally, um, and then from there, I would create prints, and if there are any prints that were deserving or that really resonated with people, I would then go back and create original paintings from that. So kind of a backwards way of doing things, but I think that's where we are right now. We're, we're a digital first kind of uh, environment. You put things out into the world digitally, see how they resonate with people. You sketch things out digitally, see how they resonate with yourself even. You create things in this in this pre-production format, and then when people or yourself resonate with it, they vibe with it, then you go back and create something real. That is a complete of, you know, turnaround or upside-down flip from what we've been doing before, which is create something nice, and then you create prints and copies off of that to capitalize off of it. What I'm not trying, what I'm trying to do is to not necessarily capitalize right off of you know, uh, making copies, making prints, what I'm doing is capitalizing off of an idea. So I put the print out there, and then if it has a real enough of a concept that is resonating with people, then I will go back and create a painting of that. I will go back and crystallize that digital concept into something real, something handmade, something painted, something constructed. So... I have no idea how this is going to all work, but that's what the idea was, to kind of flip the script in that way. So now, now with that gallery uh, setup created, where I'm, you know, I've totally gone uh, kind of a 180, a print-first idea, I put it out into the world. Uh, San, Di San Pedro enjoyed it. Long Beach enjoyed it. And uh, San Diego, I haven't presented those works down there, but uh, my friends seem to be responding well. So this is something I want to continue with. And after that solo show that we that I did, I kept in contact with David Winthrop, the the guy behind 
Studio 361 in the gallery space. And we decided to work on something. Um, work on putting a series of art shows together. So that was in planning for a little while. And finally, in March, everything started to come together. Now, if you know, the coronavirus started to spread, um, or at least in the public consciousness, you know, in February to late February. So this was of concern to us because the news of it was just getting around by the time our, our art show was beginning to prepare for launch. In fact, March 5th was the opening night. And by that time, the news about coronavirus had spread. The virus had gone viral. But it really hadn't touched Long Beach to a, uh, cert, uh, a good degree. Long Beach and San Pedro. These are the areas that I was concentrating on for getting patrons to the show. Really hadn't gotten out there too, too much. Nobody was concerned, but there were a few rumblings. Uh, I knew of, you know, a guy that had a friend of a friend who knew somebody that had contracted the virus. Somebody said that some guy in Torrance had may have been in contact with somebody. But, you know, at this point, and that's just a week removed from me right now. At this at that point, nobody really knew what the virus was going to do to us, uh, you know, in terms of getting, getting people sick, in terms of starting uh, people thinking about this virus. It just, it just wasn't really on our radar like that. Uh, a lot of bad information or partial information was still going on, but we, the art show was scheduled. So, I contacted uh, the people I was working with, and it really wasn't on our minds. So, you know, taking the temperature of the, the community, we went ahead and had the art show last uh, Thursday, March 5th. Went over well. A lot of people showed up. Um, good times were had. But the news was out there, so I wanted to take precautions. We implemented, you know, uh, safety precautions, no no hugging on everybody. You had to slow down on the hugs. We gave elbow bumps out. Um, hand sanitizer was available. And that seemed to go over well with people. You know, people thought it was fun. Like, hey, let's just be cautious. Let's uh, take care. Take care of ourselves as a community. Some people didn't uh, like that. Thought it was a little bit overblown. Thought we were reacting. They were saying it's just the flu. And, you know, it that was a popular opinion a week ago. Information still getting out. This is not just the flu. But show went on without a hitch. Uh, and I, I'll, I'll definitely link to the original blog post, which will have a much more eloquent explanation of how things went down at the show. It's, it's good times. It's good read. And uh, props to everybody who got licked in the face by that crazy dog who was just that's that. You know, I don't even I don't even know if that dog was friendly, man. That dog was that dog was hopped up on some stuff, but dog came in the gallery just you know ah, 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 licking on everybody and ah, 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 slobbering everywhere, man. That, that guy, that dog was that dog was on some friendly, on some on some friendly drugs. I don't know if there's a cat ver a dog version of catnip, but that dog was a uh, he was on it and slobbering all over the place. So. You know, in the midst of all this, I'm kind of looking at the dog slobbering on people's faces and, you know, licking hands, shoes, and whatever else he could lick. And 
you know, it just kind of got me thinking about something like this spreading. But anyway, um, I don't know if uh, COVID-19 could spread via dog slobber, but, you know, come on. Uh, maintain the maintain the normal health practices and, you know, don't French, French kiss dogs in the mouth. That's uh, not sure that's that's uh, advised by the CDC or your neighborhood physician. Anyway, um, right after uh, right after the show, you know, I I realized that um, that what we had done with the show was actually pretty uh, pioneering. Um, a lot of people just hadn't hadn't thought to start social distancing themselves, um, staying safe. Uh, a few people actually, you know, just, just stayed home. But I think that was more due to the cold. Um, it was, it was relatively cold that night and, you know, people stayed home, but the, the vibe of, uh, social distancing was already in the air. So, what I what I thought was interesting is how people just didn't want to believe that something could attack us virally. And I mean that in the social sense as well as the physical sense. Something that could attack us virally and get a hold of us. You know, you have the idea of hosting an event. You want people to come out. You want people to enjoy themselves. But you also want to be safe at the same time. And there seems to be some disconnect between panicking um maybe disconnect's not the right word. There seems to be a gulf between, you know, it's like A, you either have to panic or B, you either have to just ignore logic and common sense. And and there's there's a place between that and I want people to to acknowledge and get to where you just take the necessary precautions. Doesn't mean you have to panic, doesn't mean you have to freak out, doesn't mean, you know, you have to start going crazy and bl- buying all the bottles of bleach that you can find because you probably don't need 17 bottles of bleach in your shopping cart five tablespoons of bleach per gallon of water i think is the recommended dosage if you're just going to start keeping things clean and disinfecting via bleach nevertheless people start panicking and freaking out and buying up all the bleach that they can listen keep your distance be informed play it safe don't need to freak out. Now, on the other end, don't ignore things. Don't just go around, you know, hugging and doing whatever else you were doing before. You know, I, I saw images of people having their last hurrah at Disney. You know, saying, hey, it's the last time we can all get together. And and there are just these throngs of people crowded and huddled up close together. And I'm thinking... If you're, 
if you're in a household with people who are susceptible to viral infections, or you know a lot of people who are, and you're out there at Disney, you know, hamming it up with everybody, that's not smart. Not right now. You can look at the numbers and see that this isn't the normal flu. You can look at the numbers. The data. And I'm not talking about your random YouTuber who's just fear-mongering for, for views and likes. I'm talking about actual data. From the CDC. From, from the hundred, you know, over a hundred people that died in Italy in, the, in 24 hours. That's real data. These are real numbers. So, don't ignore it. And don't panic. Finding yourself somewhere in the middle. Now, obviously you're probably thinking to yourself, maybe you're thinking to yourself at this point, what does this have to do with the 8-Bit Cubist? And what does this have to do with games? What does this have to do with anything about your platform? Well, let me take a moment to stop and interject something here. We're all playing a game. We are all in different games. And game is a very loose word I'm using, I know that. But we're all playing it as we speak. What we're doing is going about our lives in a way that I like to frame in terms of a game. And I'm not talking about game theory, which is another branch of science. I will get into that at some point, but what I'm talking about is living your life in stages. Going through the levels. I'm talking about you trying to collect power-ups. I'm talking about advancing, interacting with other players, getting better at skills, using warp zones to get to places that you couldn't get to before, beating your last time in the time trials, upgrading your character, exploring different lands, meeting people, and just in general playing the game. There are many games to be played, of course, many subsets, sub-games, mini-games, micro-games, side-games, side-quests, alternate adventures, different consoles to play on. But in the general scope of things, I'm going to say that there is one game that we are playing. That No, I take that back. That you are playing. Now, I had this experience in Graffiti Beach um, San Diego. It's in North Park. I had a solo show, art showcase there. It's very successful, actually. Uh, and it's what really solidified my my jump headfirst into the arts. Had an art show there. Uh, Jeff came out. Thanks, Jeff. Edgar came out. Thanks, Edgar. Marcellus came out. Thanks, Celis. A lot of people came out. Had a good time. Alan Blaine was out there, too. Uh, he, we had fun. Um, this is when I was working at Rockstar, Rockstar Games in San Diego. A lot of people came out, a lot of people had fun, and two people 
ended up looking at this one piece of art that I was displaying. And the word, it was a single piece of art, uh, word art, had a word on, on it with uh, designs in the background, but it basically said, wasted. And wasted was, the word was wasted, but the actual title of the painting was Your Life. And in the background, or behind the word wasted, was a collage of newspapers and magazines that, newspaper and magazine articles that all focused on drugs and, um, you know, the party lifestyle, drugs, the after effect of drugs, uh, drug raids, um, you know, recreational drugs. And I thought that was, you know, very tongue in cheek with the whole Grand Theft Auto thing. People were talking about in-game drug use and, um, you know, what we're doing to kids and having fun and it's just digital at the expense of, th at the expense of uh, you know, the mindset of society. You know, there's a lot of discussions going around. So it was, very, it was a very appropriate piece to the times. And as I said, you basically walk up. This is a, a dark red background and the word wasted in white. Reminiscent of what happens in GTA when you, uh, Grand Theft Auto, when your character dies. He's wasted. So the title of that, Your Life, dot, 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 was important because when people came up to see that painting, I got two extremely distinct reactions. One where people, well, more than that, but two reactions that I want to focus on. One where people took um, the title and the subject matter as, you know, wasted. I'm out there getting lit. I'm out there having fun. I'm out there doing my thing. I'm out there partying it up. I'm out there getting wasted. I'm having a great time. It's what I can do. I have the the resources. My life is fun. It's great. I get wasted. Not sure how that word plays right now. I wouldn't use it right now, but at the time it was a great it was a great word. You know, you went to the club and got wasted. Wasted. So people understood it as such. Then there were another class of people who took the word wasted as a more somber um, warning, as a, as, a, uh, as a dangerous and um, you know, heavy kind of statement. You know, it's like, oh, your life. Wow, it's a tough title for that painting. Wow, wasted. I see what you're saying, man. We got to, you know, we can't waste this life. We got to be precious about it. We have to, you know, a lot of people are wasting their lives and wasting away. Yeah, wasted. You know, and they got all deep and, you know, distraught about what I might possibly mean with that. And the point was, I meant both simultaneously. So, with those two types of, uh, perceptions on the piece of art you know that's what I started playing with with this whole idea of a game we're playing your life as a game um, there's a certain duality in all of my work that uh, many of you 
I, I hope many of you have caught on, but many of you I know have not. There's a certain duality of it that that painting really expressed very well, and even more so if you were at that art show, you were able to see exactly what I meant by that. You know, in fact, people were at the art show just, you know, drinking beer and wine, um, having a good time, you know. So the idea of, you know, wasted, that's... Go to any art show with rich people, you'll see what I'm talking about. And then, you know, there are the people who can't, you know, can't pay their bills and, um, you know, are having trouble in life and they're thinking about, you know, doing drugs and hurting themselves or whatever. That's that's apparent, too, at any at any good art show you know you'll be able to see the spectrum of people which is which is very weird so even on that level it's a, it was a very art world centric kind of painting so that's what i was getting at with the 8 bit cubists with this game that we're playing um when you hear that that framework you know i want you to look at it as your life as a game um and i i flip back and forth with this myself is my life a game that I really want to play? Am I having fun? Am I enjoying it? Am I learning things? Am I getting ahead? Am I not just in a hamster wheel? Am I having a good time? Sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I flip back to the other side where I'm not having a good time. I'm not having fun. I'm I, I'm just playing this game and I feel like nothing, it, it really doesn't matter. You know, at the end of the day, you know, you're going to turn off the console and it's just going to be done and over. It'll be a black screen game over for you. And I do flip back and forth between these thoughts. And, you know, I figure we all do. And that's what the, the idea of the 8B Cubist is about. Getting back to that whole central theme, that whole central idea of life as a game. And life is a heavy topic. So using the framework of life as a game is a way for me to not be so heavy about it. It's one of the things my mom would always complain, well not complain, but she'd always tell me about that I'm being a little too heavy. So I'd need to lighten up. And I think I'm do I think I did that successfully over time where I started to definitely present a lighter attitude while still remaining very serious. So I'm playing around in this gray area, and I think that all areas are gray. I do not believe in, you know, very strict black and whites. I do not believe in very strict right and wrongs. I do not believe in this A and B type of a mindset. I do not believe in the binary mindset, which is <laughs> funny considering that this is the 8B Cubist and this is based on games, which is based on computers, which is very on-off. I hope you're all catching the layers of meaning here. But let's swing this all the way back to the art show and the coronavirus. Ahead of the art show, I knew that people were going to be either distraught about the virus or they were going to be very ignorant of it or and just and I, I mean also I mean intentionally ignorant where they're just not going to care or they're going to get into a panic mode about it I don't want either of those 
you know, I do have things that I'm definitely one way or the other about. Honestly, I got to pause here. There's some dude outside my window. You always got to wonder about people when they stop right outside your place and just start talking on the phone. Speaking of panicking, you know, somebody might roll up on you for your for your toilet paper and bleach. Talking about they need to feed their kids and they want to bathe their kids in the tub of bleach. You're not sure if they're scoping you out or not. Anyway. So, people are falling into these two different categories of panic and uh, willful ignorance. I'm definitely going to say willful ignorance because they're just deciding to deciding to ignore all of this. They're just turning off the news and, you know, going about their business as if nothing is going on. I want to find a middle ground, a a sense of healthy healthy fear, using fear in a healthy way where you're you're not interested in being scared but you're taking the precaution not just for you individually and that's a big point not just for you individually but for your community the way this the way things the way covid-19 spreads is not a individual type of worry thing i'm not particularly worried um i do not get flu shots i have a pretty good immune system I do my push-ups and drink my kale smoothies and, you know, I don't get completely wasted when I do go out and have fun. But I'm not sitting around not enjoying, you know, the fruits of life. I'm somewhere in between. Try to stay healthy, stay good. So, usually when I pick up something like a flu or whatever, it's short-lived. Um, I kick it out of my system pretty quickly and go about my business. I know there are other people that it really affects, so I'm cognizant of that and try not to spread germs. I try not to spread viruses. I pr- try not to spread disease. I try to clean things up so it doesn't spread. Because if it doesn't affect me, that doesn't mean it won't affect somebody else. So there's a healthy fear that I'd like to be sure that's going around. And this is just to keep people on their toes. Because currently in this game right now, you have to ask yourself, how are you going to play it out? How are you going to continue living? How are all of you going to cope? For all my introvert buddies, myself included, we'll be fine. How are your extrovert friends going to handle this? You know, How are your grandmothers going to handle this? You got to social distance yourself. That doesn't mean sit at home and shrivel up. Hey man, get online, learn how to learn how to chat, use how to use groups, you know. Start up a chat server if you want. If you don't know how to do that, type in the comments. Somebody'll call you a dumbass and point you to you know, Google Hangouts or something. But, you know, learn how to communicate effectively online. I'm doing my part. Hell, I'm starting a podcast that I should have started a long time ago. So, let me introduce some of that healthy fear to you. I would like to present to you with a, um, an essay, a, short, a very short read by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. He's the author of Black Swan, the scholar at 
a New York University um, a risk analyst, a hedge fund. He used to be a hedge fund manager and also was a derivatives trader. Now, if you know derivatives trading, there was a lot of uh, sliminess that went on in the whole derivatives trading era. But basically, a lot of smart people got together with their calculators and their spreadsheets and their, you know, T-squares and pencils and figured out how to take money from a lot of people and not do it in a very safe manner. And it basically screwed the economy. There are whole documentaries on this. Um, once again, well, if, you, if anybody cares, uh, comment about it and we'll be sure to link you up. But basically, um, this guy knows what he's talking about in terms of numbers and data and how things spread and analyzing possible risk. So what I want to read to you is this essay that he created. It's called The Ethics of Precaution, Individual and Systemic Risk by N.N. Taleb, Nassim N. Taleb. Precautionary decisions do not scale. Collective safety may require excessive individual risk avoidance, even if it conflicts with an individual's own interest and benefits. It may require an individual to worry about risks that are comparatively insignificant. Assume a risk of multiplicative viral epidemic, still in its early stages. The risk for an individual to catch the virus is very low, lower than other ailments. It is, therefore, irrational to panic, react immediately and as a priority. But if he or she does not panic and act in an ultra-conservative manner, they will contribute to the spread of the virus and it will become a severe source of systemic harm. Let me read that again. Uh, or read parts of it again. Even at an individual level, you have to take precautions. Let me. I'm, I'm just going to jump back and read a part of this again. The risk for an individual to catch the virus is very low, lower than other ailments. It is irrational to panic, but if he or she does not panic and act in an ultra-conservative manner, they're going to contribute to the spread of the virus, and it will become a severe source of systemic harm. Hopefully you caught that. I'll continue on with the essay. Hence, one must panic individually, that is, produce what seems to be an exaggerated response, in order to avoid systemic problems, even where the immediate individual payoff does not appear to warrant it. This happens when the systemic risk is small to the individual, but common to all, while an individual's other idiosyncratic risk dominate his or her own life. Example, the risk of car accident may be greater for an individual, but smaller for society. So, continuing on, under such conditions it becomes selfish, even psychopathic, to act according to what is called rational behavior, to make one's own immediate rankings of risk conflict with those of society, even generate risk for society. This is similar to other tragedies of the common, except that there is life and death. In addition, there is a trade-off, short-term versus long-term, for idiosyncratic risk. 
Over the long run, there is a convergence between idiosyncratic and systemic. Basically, your risk rises if all others are infested, infected and the risk of survival from other diseases drop. For instance, during a pandemic that mostly spares young, healthy individuals, an independent emergency that would typically be routine may become untreatable because of lack of resources. Further, in conditions of severe societal breakdown, many additional risks will emerge for all agents that can't be reduced to the initial short-term risk of infection to the individual. That was a mouthful. Um, basically, there isn't a lot of... I'm just jumping off the essay for a second speaking. So, what he's getting at is that even though you're not expected to be harmed individually, this thing is highly viral and is jumping bet between people across, you know, using people as bridges to get to other people. If this spreads very quickly, which it is doing, then it's going to get to people and, you know, it's going to make its way to the people that it will hurt. People who are thinking on an individual level are thinking, well, I'm just fine. I have a good immune system. I do just like Benja does, and I drink kale smoothies and do push-ups. I'm great. That's not the point. The point is that is there is a systemic risk. So the more you worry only about yourself or you ignore the pandemic that's going on, the more likely it is that things will spread and things will mess up the system. If something messes up the system, in turn, it will mess you up because, you know, People are thinking, you know, well, hey, if 1% of the people are falling apart, falling away and dying, then hey, man, whatever, it's 1%. Sorry, sucks to be them. That's a horrible, horrible attitude to have. I wouldn't wish that on any community. That is a very large amount of people affected. In fact, I don't think a lot of you know how many 1% is. And if you, you know, you're talking about you know, millions of people in a large city. You're dealing in the hundreds of thousands. And then, that also works to infect other uh, areas of society. You end up with second order effects. So basically, you can't just think of it as the first level of effects, which is, you know, people get sick and they have problems from getting sick. So now that people get sick, What's the problem with that? Well, people get sick, then our uh, our healthcare system is taxed. Now, suddenly, I have something that's not related to getting sick, and I'm 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 feeling messed up, and it has nothing to do with you know COVID nineteen or, or coronavirus strain. Suddenly, the healthcare system is being taxed, you know, unnecessarily, and I can't get my healthcare. So now I have a regular emergency, and I'm screwed. So, you know, if, if we start, if people start, you know, really getting affected by this, the economic problems of having all types of second-order effects starts happening. Where it's not the thing, it's the thing after the thing. It's a cascading kind of problem. You know, you talk, I, I actually heard somebody saying, hey, well, that's only old people. Um, look, man, uh, I don't know how many 
how many coaches, how many teachers, how many healthcare professionals, how many bus drivers, how many uh, grocery store clerks, attendants, um, how many art gallery owners. Um, there are a lot of there are a lot of people older who are affected. I, I don't I don't know where we got this idea that old people weren't worth anything. Um, old people are a national treasure, as are all people. Um, you know, geriatric lives matter. Uh, maybe somebody is starting that hashtag up. I don't know. Um, I'll probably have to do a, a blank lives matter discussion at some point. But um, yeah, man, um, watch out for your old folks. Uh, help them and take care. Of them. Anyway, let me uh, jump back into this essay and continue on. Uh, and I'll definitely link up to it later. So. Continuing on with the essay. In the current COVID-19 outbreak, such effects can be observed by a complete inundation of hospitals and their ICUs as local outbreaks take hold. This and other less viable thresholds change the dynamic of the pandemic as they are exceeded initially. Hold on. I read that wrong. This and other less visible thresholds change the dynamic of the pandemic as they are exceeded. Initially, small risks become amplified and produce novel and unanticipated risk as the contagion makes impact system-wide. Okay, you hear that? That was the second-order effects I was talking about. Continuing on. For these reasons, the prudent and ethical course of action for all individuals is to enable, is to enact systemic precaution at, at the individual and local scale. The breakdown of scale separation that a multiplicative contagion induces connects the individual to the collective making everyone both a potential bearer and source of the risk in summary precaution scales in a convex way for cross-dependent small idiosyncratic risk that end up dynamically extremely large at the systemic level in short this is my words here uh, a few knuckleheads can screw up the system and um if you try to ignore things, do at your own peril. Uh, you might end up like Italy, and Italy is a bad case scenario. Go check the stats on Italy and COVID-19 if you want to know what's going on. We don't need that here. Continuing on with the summary. Um, you are harming others by not overreacting. How? In short, you end up harming yourself by ignoring these irrational risks. And that is the uh, essay by Nassim Nicholas Taleb on release March 15th, 2020. Um, so this is an interesting thing. It's um, and, you know, I'm not saying this one guy just because he went to New York University or just because he works with New York University is, you know, the end all be all of discussions. But he gets to the point that I was trying to get across. A healthy fear. When you say you should overreact, normally that means your normal reactions are not enough. You know, saying, saying to yourself, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to just react normally as I would when a virus comes along. No, you are being asked to overreact a little bit. You know, you don't need a shopping cart full of bleach. I'm pretty sure 
a jug or two of bleach will suffice. Let's keep the system also properly stocked. You know, don't be like that clown who bought up all the hand sanitizer in, you know, like a 60-mile radius. I'm pretty sure that's unnecessary and just, that's that's unethical. That, that guy needs to get punched in the mouth. Um, haven't checked the latest results, but somebody did something with that guy. Um, I believe he got doxxed even. Uh, if you don't know what that is, look it up. Uh, you know, but there are there are ways to overreact to sustain yourself. You probably your normal reaction may to be, you know, just let me cough into my elbow, you know, to let me sneeze into my elbow to make sure that I'm I'm um, not spreading germs or not spreading any viruses. Now you have to go a little extra step. You have to, that's your normal reaction. Now you have to overreact, go a little bit past that. You have to throw in the elbow bumps. You have to stay far away, a little farther away from people. You know, you have to stop touching your face. You know, stop, stop picking at that little fleck of skin on your cheek that just keeps on, you know, peeling back. You have to stop, uh, you know, putting your finger in your mouth. You know, use floss, you know. You know, you stop. You need to stop picking your nose so much. Use a tissue. You have to overreact. React a little more than you normally would. And I think a lot of the part that people are missing is they're not reacting to the system. They're not reacting to their whole community, their whole neighborhoods. I mean, they're. They're freaking out because other people are freaking out, but they're not thinking to themselves, okay, let's stop the spread of this virus so it can die down, so it can be contained, so it can be properly dealt with, you know, if you're a vaccinator or anti-vaccinator, you know, this should still be an issue for you, you know, you want the spread of a dangerous pathogen to be contained. You want it to be stopped. And the way you do this is by implementing these overreactive social measures, social distancing. I'm sure I'll get back to a point where, you know, I'm hugging, high-fiving, and, uh, you know, putting arms around the shoulders of all my friends as we sing in a bar or whatever. I'm sure we'll get back to that at some point. But I can't just take my normal reaction and stay home or go to the movie theater, I have to overreact and start recording podcasts and start, you know, making sure that, uh, you know, my internet connection is still good so I can get all the best streaming. I have to, you know, buy a few more cans of beans and, and freeze more, more bread and meat just because if a breakout happens, we need to be prepared can't have, you know, fights in Costco. I don't want that. So I'll be sensible about it. I'll do what I need to do, get a little more rations, connect with my friends, my family, and maintain the system. Because if we don't maintain the system, if you don't maintain, speaking of systems, if you don't maintain uh, the system that you are yourself a part of, and you start fucking it up, 
then chances are somebody else is going to start fucking it up. And once everybody starts fucking the system up, guess what? The system gets fucked. And then if the system's fucked, you're fucked. See what I'm saying? That's how these things happen. Um, in fact, uh, I, I fucked up a system once. Um, I'll just tell you about that right quick. I was, uh, playing, I was playing World of Warcraft, and there was a raid going on. And we were nearing the entrance of a cave. And uh, I actually pulled kind of Leroy Jenkins uh, unintentionally. You know, I, I was trying to maneuver myself towards the edge of this this uh, this pathway down the down the ravine into the cave where the all the bad guys were. And you know, I got myself my little rogue guy. And you know, I'm used to doing the scouting. You know, I'm, I'm cloaked. I'm I'm playing rogue. I'm uh, I'm all, I'm all sneaky about it. I'm, I'm looking around, seeing things. The rest of the the rest of the party's still at the, you know, farther back towards the entrance, and I'm just kind of eking my way in. But before everyone's ready, before all the spells have been cast, before everything is prepared, next thing I know, I accidentally slip on the edge of the ravine and fall down into a group of enemies, and. Not only did I fall down to this group of enemies, but my pet fell down with me. So my pet goes, and he starts interacting with all these other enemies, and I'm like, holy crap, how do I call my pet back? Uh, I'm, you know, scrambling with the controls, my pet's out doing some, fucking around with some nonsense. You know, things are getting all out of control. And all these monsters are coming, and... I'm frenetically, you know, letting everybody know, holy crap, it's over. Monsters are coming. I fucked up the system. I should have known what I was supposed to do and really stayed back, but I thought I was being helpful. Basically, I didn't overreact. I didn't I didn't properly extend my safety precautions to this situation. I was like, well, you know, I'm a rogue. I, you know, I'm I'm used to sneaking. This is my job. I'll just kind of you know, do this. And I made a mistake and, you know, all these monsters came running up the ravine, flooding the entrance of the cave and, you know, attacked everybody. We all died. I pulled a Leroy Jenkins, but, uh, unintentionally. And, uh, we all laughed about it, but I had blown, you know, a couple hours of our time, basically, uh, just in terms of setup, in terms of getting everybody together, in terms of scheduling and all that. Just, it, it was just a mess. So, that was my lesson, and yeah, I, I did what I, I uh, shouldn't have done. And luckily, that was just in a virtual setting, and the only thing that happened was I got a lot of shit for it the next couple of days. We all laughed, and we had fun, and went on with it. In this game that we're playing with the coronavirus, with COVID-19, yeah, playing around like this could cost you your life. And if not your life the life of someone you love. And if not the life of someone you love or care about, the life of your local community, your local businesses, your local economy, and yes, your job. A lot of things could happen. So just play it safe, be smart. You know, um, take a look at this uh, essay again. It's actually a pretty cogent set of thoughts. You know, um, Try to be safe out there. 
you know, we what I want to go viral is this this knowledge. Uh, I want intelligence to go viral. I want good sense to go viral. I want a stronger community to go viral. I don't want stupidity to go viral on one end. And on the other end, I don't want panic to go viral. Both of those are problems. So what I want to go viral is a new idea of intelligence, proper communication, information sharing, carefulness, uh, readiness, and enjoyment of life. I do not think it is enjoyable to, you know, be fighting with people at Target, Walmart, Costco, and elbowing fools, you know, for for a jar of pasta sauce. I, I do not think that's enjoyable. But if everybody got what they needed, everybody, you know, rationed things out appropriately, then we have, all have a good time. We can go home, you know, we can uh, feed our kids. We can, hey, man, if you're at home, connect with your kids, play some Connect Four, um, you know, get online, start playing some games with people, uh, make a Facebook group, connect with people you haven't connected with in a while. You know, don't sit around being all doom and gloom. Um, continue to live your life, continue to have fun, continue to do good things. And, uh, you know, um, in case you didn't follow the meta narrative that I'm doing, I'm following my own advice by, by jumping into this podcast early. I am getting out there and doing something. I am trying to have fun. I am trying to educate and entertain simultaneously. So with that being said, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you followed along. I know we're doing the long format podcast and all y'all ain't used to that. But we're here to do it. Um, follow me online at the 8BitCubist, twitter.com slash 8BitCubist. If you want to follow me personally, Mr. Benja, the8BitCubist.com, instagram.com slash 8BitCubist slash Mr. Benja slash slash all that jazz. Somewhere you're online, somewhere you better get at me. I have an email list if you want to talk with me more personally there. Boom, boom, boom. Don't front. Get at me. Contact me. Um, And do I have an Easter egg for this podcast? Uh, No, I don't have an Easter egg for this podcast. But if I do, it'll be in the show notes. Thank you very much. Peace.